When you think of trends, what comes to mind? Earbuds, small batch bourbon, Cardi B, reality show reunions, boomeranging. I bet you don't think of conversion rate optimization, though. Well, it's a trend, and Scott Rubenstein is on this episode of Ruby Apps Insights to tell us what it is, why it's important, and what it can do for you. So, check out this flow. We're tracking trends, and we're talking CRO. It's an exciting day. Today, we're joined by Scott Rubenstein, the Director of Client Services, and we are here to talk about trends. Polka dots, pastels, Hawaiian food, hyper-local food, boy bands, robotic production, invisible tech, self-memeing, these are all trends, but there's one that we're going to talk about today which may surprise you, and that is around conversion rate optimization. Scott, welcome to the Ruby Apps Insights Podcast. Exciting to speak with you again. Happy to be here. What do we mean when we refer to conversion rate optimization? Well, when you talk about conversion rate optimization, you want to think about, well, what, what is a conversion? You want to think about it in a couple of different ways. So you can think about it from the macro sense and then the micro sense. So from the macro sense, um, it's really converting a website visitor into a client, right? Getting them off the website and into your office. And from a micro sense, you think about the particular. So logistically, how do we do that? So it comes to tasks on a website and using a website as a tool um, on that path of the customer journey from someone who's just a casual website visitor or even someone who may uh, you may know um, that may be on your website and turning them into a client. So when you think about conversions in that micro sense, essentially it's about getting them to do something that you want. You put something out there and it is a request and it is calling for some kind of action and they will hopefully, if you've executed it correctly, they will perform it. Yeah, and there are a number of examples, um, and they some of them are similar across industries. Some of them are, are industry specific. Um, so if you're in commerce, you want somebody to buy a product. Um, but I think one of the main drivers of turning a website visitor into a client is obtaining their information, right? So typical contact info done so by a contact form or some sort of uh, sign up or subscribe form. And so that would be a mechanism for which you would create a conversion and people coming to a website page or even a contact form page um, and signing up or not. What is the percentage of people that come to that page and sign up? And then is that percentage uh, okay? Is that acceptable? Or do you want to make that or would you, would you like to increase that percentage? And how do we do that? What are the factors that impact whether someone completes this form and entices them because clearly the object is to get as many people as possible so what are the variables involved um, I think it really depends on the value uh, as an organization that you place on each conversion 
And so there are things, so let's, let's use a commerce site, I think, because that's, that's a more straightforward approach. Um, you know, there's someone clicking to learn more about a product, which would probably have a lower value than someone clicking to buy a product. And so when you think about ways to entice people, um, enticing them to learn more about a product is done so in, in one way while um, buying a product is done so in other ways. So um, learning more, you want to lure them in by uh, expansive uh, media, whether that be imagery or um, a video and or some enticing language. Um, whereas buy a product, there are ways that if you're not already intending accept acceptable conversion rates, you can say things like um, free shipping or save 10% or have a pop-up. That is, if you buy now and add this promo code, you will get 10% off. And constantly trying to um, lure, lure and attract the website visitor to becoming a client or a customer. If we were to structure what a particular journey would look like, just to dig in a little bit deeper to what you just said, if we are on a commerce site and I want to learn more, then perhaps if I'm going to buy a pair of sneakers, maybe I will have a video which shows some athletic person wearing these sneakers and that will entice me to get to the next stage. And then it's about closing the deal. And that may include some sort of discount for a purchase or any form of incentive for me to think about digging into my wallet mm -hmm. and buying that pair of sneakers. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You know, ease of use um, and how, uh, how troubling it is to go from point A to point B on a website uh, will skew that conversion rate. So if I know I want these sneakers and I click buy, but then there's a six or seven page checkout process, I may decide that I might want to go to Amazon and find some other version of these sneakers or just do something that's a little bit easier. And so making it, making it easy for the customer to, or the website visitor to become a customer is also an aspect of it. Um, you know, adding the value is an important part and I think the most important part, but then uh, on the way to converting them, like to submitting that call to action is also an aspect. Um, so for example, for professional services sites, um, they, professional service firms, want to obtain your information and get some information about you as a user in terms of what your preferences are so that they can provide you with meaningful information, meaningful content. And so one of the ways to do that is to entice you by um, wanting to learn more about a specific topic and then perhaps having a document or a white paper PDF of that document but having it be gated behind a form that you must fulfill the name, email, um, and other information before you can download the information. And so that's a, it's a very transactional, um, uh, a transactional event wherein um, you must pay for the form with your information, but it's also uh, rewarding because you're giving the user what they want and they're giving you what you want, and um, it's a symbiotic relationship in that way. There's some terminology that has come out either directly or indirectly, and I want to bring some of that to the surface. So one is around calls to action, and I think you highlighted a call to action that the video could potentially be connected to a call to action because you want to learn more about the sneakers, or there's an opportunity for you to learn about this 
white paper that you want to download and so give us this information. Then there's the lead generation form, which is what you would theoretically fill out to provide whatever that entity is with that information. And then the last one, which I'll take a pause on, allow you to explain a little more, is the idea of gated content, which is this white paper. Right. And so um, gated content is something that uh, has been around for a little while, but I think it's becoming more of a trend in um, professional services industries in particular, where um, there's a sense that there's a lot of time and energy to produce this content. And um, some content is more valuable than others, uh, whereas you may want to readily produce and readily make available certain articles or, or publications when you're producing a high value piece of uh, content like an annual report or like some sort of quarterly review of a topic. Um, you may already have a user base that you know is interested in, in this, um, but if and, and you may be sending emails and you may be producing things on social media driving traffic towards this, you want to be able to harness that information. Um, and doing and having that gated content is sort of like a roadblock for the user to say like you can have this valuable information um, which we know you want which we know is valuable um, and the only thing that we're asking for return is your information so that um, we can we can contact you in the future and so when we talk about we talked about this a little bit earlier about ease of use and, and being able to easily submit this information and hitting, um, uh, you know, submit. Um, we think about when users get to that form and how it makes them feel when they're surfing on your website or they're browsing between pages and they're clicking download or even if they're coming from an email or a social media and they're clicking download and there's sort of, it, it can be a little jarring in terms of the, the user experience to get that form. And so another tip that you can possibly impart for that um, gated content form is some more information about the, the document or about the, whatever your download is to again continue in getting them interested and also not having them fill out nine fields. If all you want is their name and their email, get that, you already know what they're interested in based on what they're downloading. There's a lot of things that you can deduct or deduce from that um, task, from that website event that um, you can then use in, in later um, transactions, if you will, with that customer. Seems like a silly question, but I want to point it out. What's the value in collecting this information? How can it actually be used? You mentioned a follow-up email in the future, but how would a marketer think about putting all of this to work and for what reasons? So that's a really good question. Um, and just from a, from a top level, it's really about you know, the customer journey, the business development flow, and at the end of the day, making uh, turning a cold lead into a warm lead. And so I'll give you an example. Um, you have a website, it's got a form that has a few preferences on it or, or maybe they go to a, a, a page about some specific expertise that um, your professional services firm is known for and there's a sign up for alerts um, link and they sign up for the alerts it then gets captured in your CRM where you have their name their email and other information as well as their preferences for um, let's say energy so this client is interested in energy and emerging trends around energy 
And there will be an event soon where one of the um, people at the firm is speaking about energy, um, new energy. Um, and so you will send out an invite to this person who will then get an email, see that it's about something they're interested in, go to the event, and that could then be locked in your CRM and put in a list for um, you know, people at your firm to already know a lot about this person and say, hey, oh, I know that you are on our website and you're interested in energy and I wanted to you know, talk to you a little bit more about that. And so it turns a cold lead to, hi, this is my name and what brings you here to, uh, you know, jumps to the third or fourth step in the conversation and I think um, makes that person a little more comfortable and more, more willing to engage in a conversation that you want them to have. In the era of data privacy and GDPR, it also sounds like these types of techniques allow you to get people to opt in and willingly give you information and communicate to you overtly how they wish to be communicated to. That's right. Yeah, I mean, with GDPR, it really formalizes through regulation what the best practices have been for a long time, which is you should really be contacting people that have preferences to want to be contacted in this way about this thing. And so what the regulations, in my mind, um, are really uh, enforcing are things that should be happening anyway. You know, um, And you can think about it from in any way that you engage with um, any business online. Um, and if they're sending you information or they're contacting you and you're not, you don't want that information, you're not going to open up that email you're not going to do what they want you to do. And so what GDPR will do is enforce the opt-ins, enforce things like preferences so that you're not sending things to people who don't want them. And so it, it sort of puts a law around that. I want to demonstrate some intent to exit our conversation. But before I do that, I thought I'd introduce the idea of exit intent pop-ups as part of this conversation and hear some of your thoughts on those. All right. Uh, exit intent pop-up, uh, put simply for those um, who are not familiar with the term, is where um, you're on a website and you'd like to go off the website and go to another page or click to another uh, bookmark in your toolbar um, in your web browser. And as your mouse is scrolling up to the address bar to change that URL, uh, you'll get a pop-up on the website. And it's typically very alluring and, and very um, attractive because um, you know, there's a pop-up, it's an overlay, and the eye really focuses on this form to do one of many things. So they, this is where um, websites will entice you to either sign up um, for their newsletter or if you act now and use this promo code, you can get 20% off and things like that. It, it does remind me a lot about uh, of an ad that you'll see on another site. So if you see an ad or if you see a commercial on TV and you don't want the product and it's not for you, it's a nuisance. But if you see the ad and you see the, and you see the commercial um, and it's something that you really want, it's the best thing that's happened to you all day. And so that's what we're really going for. We're looking for something that is what you want and providing users with what you want. Um, typically, what the exit intent pop-up is very effective at doing, um, especially when you're on the path to becoming a customer on that checkout process, but you're on page six 
and you really don't want to fill out a shipping address because you just gave me your billing address and you go to go to, and you move to go to Amazon but then they say hey wait a second here's 20% off please fill out that last bit of information and buy this product or please fill out that last bit of information and download this white paper um, it can just be another little tap on the shoulder to say hey um, do this and we'll, you know we'll give you a little something extra for it it also sounds like a last-ditch effort so in the last-ditch effort to close out our conversation a last question going back to something you said earlier around acceptable conversion rates I understood it in the context but let's speak quickly about what are acceptable conversion rates Another very good question. So I think in order to best answer that question, you really have to go through the steps. So I, I sort of have like this step-by-step -step plan in terms of um, how, to, what is, how to create conversions, what the right conversion is for your organization, and then what the right conversion rate is. Um, so you have to stop, start at the top. So what are your firm's organizational goals and business objectives? And then try to tie that into the website. So if your firm's goals are to generate more leads, Let's tie that into a lead generation form on the website and determine uh, the KPI for that, right? And so if you have a, a lead generation form, which is to sign up for a newsletter, and you're looking at the baseline of your current metrics um, you know, to assess the, the key performance indicator, and you're saying, well, 3% of all users that are coming to the site are signing up. That's your baseline. So you have to achieve a baseline. And, you know, we always want to improve on that baseline. So we're going to define a target. So if we say it's at 3% now, we want it to be at 10%. And so we're going to say, well, we're going to, we're going to look at this and we're going to maybe um, add some more social media uh, power behind this. We're going to send out a few emails and maybe we're going to change that sign up button from gray to gray to blue. And we're going to see if that changes anything. Um, you're also going to want to identify the valuable segments and saying, well, social is more valuable than email because we're getting more traffic um, and more people are coming to the site. So let's put some more effort into that. Um, and then you're going to get reporting on that. So you're going to be able to use analytics and perhaps some of the other metrics that are available through your email um, software and or your social media uh, network to be able to report on these things on a weekly, monthly basis. And then take a look if your efforts made any difference. And did you go from 3% to 10%? Um, did you go down because people didn't like that blue button or for whatever reason they didn't like some of the changes you made? Make other changes. You know, wash, rinse, and repeat. And ensure that you're constantly adapting and making those strategic updates um, to the content or to the website based on those goals. But where I would start is your own baseline for your own website and try to improve from there. So don't be discouraged, everyone. Improve on your baselines as we try to each and every episode. We wash, we rinse, we repeat. And I hope you've optimized your time this afternoon. Scott Rubenstein, thank you so much for speaking with Ruby Apps Insights. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ruby Apps Insights is recorded at Studio 55 and is hosted by Alexander Kotler. For more insights and detail on Ruby Apps and enterprise software developed by Rubenstein Tech, visit rubyapps.com. Until next time, have an awesome everyday.